Welcome to the latest episode of the Endurance Asia podcast. I'm your host, Scott Pugh, and this week, Rick and I are joined by Chris Vanderveld, very well known across the region and the, the Asia Pacific Asia region as the uh, race director for, for many cycle sportifs and, uh, and mountain bike races such as the Genghis Khan up in China and also the, the founder, the director, the, uh, the brainchild behind the, the Asia Trail Master Series which has really grown massively over the last three to four years. Uh, it's born some of the top ultra runners in the region and has been able to sort of like give them a, a spotlight as well as really showcasing some of the amazing races and countries that and, and uh, you know courses that we have uh, across this region, across Asia, Southeast Asia, and even into the Middle East. Um, and it was a it was a really good catch up. We originally spoke with Chris back in August and held off publishing because we knew he was going to be coming to to Singapore. So it's a two part episode. Um, originally um, talking about. Chris's background, how he got into his, his uh, background as a professional cyclist and how he got into to race directing and, and into um, exploring the Asia region. And then it, we go into like an update of what's, uh, what's happening at the moment, what's happening with Asia Trail Master and the, and, the, and the dual season that we're in and how he's managed to, how he's managing to navigate through the, the challenging COVID times and, and supporting all of the, the race directors and, uh, and athletes as well. So really good chat. With that, here is Chris Vanderveld. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Chris, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Hello, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm sorry it's not uh, one of the, the beautiful mountain races that you're involved with around the region. We're having to do this via Zoom, but um, yeah, better late than never. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, no? right? Uh, we talked already about this for, for about a year, I think, and it somehow never happened. Um, but now, yeah, I'm also still stuck in, uh, in my home country in Belgium. So, um, I have quite a bit of time nowadays, so let's do it. So, so let's start there. You, you, you grew up in Belgium, but you've been living out in Asia and in China for, for quite a while. How did you, how did that journey come about? Well, you know, I come from Belgium. Um, I've always had a fascination for, for Asia and particularly for China, actually. Um, so I started to travel, um, as soon as I, you know, became a student at university and in summer I would be traveling to China or to Southeast Asia um, which basically nurtured my interest in the continent even more and then um, what happened in 2010 was I was working for the European Central Bank in Frankfurt and I took uh, three years of unpaid leave to uh, to go to China and study the language first of all um, I did that in uh, Dalian in the northeast of China and during that time, I was still um, a competitive cyclist, um, something I'd been uh, doing also in the Northeast, in, in, in Germany and the rest of Europe. Um, and during one of those races in China, I came across some people from the organization of Nordic Ways, which is um, an organization with Swedish roots. 
And um, yeah, we started talking a little bit and I was quite interested to know what these guys were doing in, in China. This was 2010. So the amateur sports scene was not really that developed yet. Um, and eventually they invited me for a, for a, for a talk, for an interview uh, in Beijing. So I went over there. And then it turned out that they were looking for um, a race director and an expert in, in cycling and running especially. And they asked if I was interested to join them. Um, and I, like I said, I had three years of unpaid leave from the bank. So I said, okay, I can do that. You know, still make some money during my unpaid leave as well. So it was fantastic. And uh, that's how it started for me, really, my uh, kind of professional uh, activities in, in, in China. So I became the uh, race director of the Genghis Khan Festival in Inner Mongolia, uh, which is an event that uh, became quite popular also in the rest of Asia. Um, I remember that JP Alipio was there a couple of years ago, who was on your show, I think, yeah, half a year ago or something. So the Genghis Khan Festival was mountain bike and uh, trail running, the Grassland Marathon. Um, and uh, I completely changed that event around. So I did a complete redesign. Turned out to be quite successful. Um, and in that sense, Nordic Way is a company also had more confidence in me. So they gave me more responsibilities and other events to work on. And that's how that ball started rolling, you know. Um, did some when you say quite successful, how many people did you have um, racing the Genghis Khan on both mountain bike and, and trail? Uh, the Genghis Khan Festival was already organized since 2007. So when I was in charge for the first time, it was 2011, I believe. Yeah. So then at that time, there were 170 participants overall. So actually it was a small right. event. But by 2016, there were 1,800. So, wow. so that was a very big <laughs> increase because in Mongolia, so the place where we are having the event is a place called Siwuchi. And that's quite remote, I have to say. It's really deep in the grasslands of, um, of Simon, um, quite close to Silinghote. It's the closest airport, but that's still two hours away by car. And at that time, it was actually five hours away because there was no highway yet. So it was a very bumpy, uh, bumpy road to just reach the, the, the destination of the event. So, um, yeah, and then, like I said, uh, I, I redesigned everything and uh, yeah, people seem to like it. Um, and, and uh, you know that, that went all pretty what, good. What sort of changes are you making when you say you redesigned it? You know, what, what from your background, your experience, what were you what were you bringing to the table? Well, first of all, for the marathon, I turned it into from two loops of twenty one k. I made it one loop of forty two k, which of course I think for for runners was was much more interesting. Um, for the mountain bike, also uh, the first stage and the third stage, um, there, were, there were quite a lot of overlaps when I joined uh, the company. So I started to explore other areas of the grasslands um, on the other side of the town. And it uh, required quite a bit of negotiation with the local authorities as well, because you know the grasslands, they're not uninhabited. Yeah, there's farmers um, living there and they have all their cattle there. Um, so sometimes there's always a farmer who does not allow us to pass through. Um, or there are certain conditions that need to be met. So it's sometimes very complicated and it actually has become even more complicated as the years went by uh, because more and more of the land became privatized. Um, but yeah, that were kind of the, the, the things that I did. And then of course also upgraded the marketing of the whole event. Um, social media became bigger and bigger at the time. I remember, like I said, 2011, 2012, um, WeChat 
started. Uh, you know, I think uh, Rick knows WeChat very well. I think he also lived in China, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, all these kind of measures um, that I introduced, um, yeah, worked out very well. And, uh, I can I can imagine just just organizing any kind of event in China. Like you said, I was there just just before you a couple of years before 2010, and it just and 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 I knew people involved in not not in the sports scene but the music event scene, and it was just so difficult to get the permits that you needed and you know, make any sort of projections about who was going to turn up and, and how you were going to break even. Is that, was it, was that difficult or were you just so in love with what you were doing that you just, you didn't really care? Well, we have a close cooperation with the, with the authorities where we have the events. Um, basically what happens is in China, it's usually the, a place or a region that decides that they want to do an event somewhere, especially in those days. And then they, 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 you know, they meet experts, to actually implement, to design, first to design and then implement the event. Um, and, and that's where we came in. Uh, mm. So that's basically how it worked. So, um, of course, uh, we needed to budget very carefully. And, uh, you, know, you know, being in China, you ha definitely have to be careful also when you have, let's say, we are not really a foreign company, but of course we have a foreign input and we have foreign connections. So that is sometimes a bit sensitive as well. Um, so we need always have to be careful when we're talking about budgets, but on, on the whole, we are quite safe uh, when we start, when we accept basically uh, to do an event. Yeah, we, would, we just recently had Nathan Fave, a venture racer on the podcast, and he was talking about there's a, um, an ARWS, uh, Adventure Racing World Series race up in the Atlay Mountains, I think they had like 30, 40 teams all got to the start line and the amount of that goes into both getting to the destination there, but also from a logistical perspective from the competitors getting all of their gear. So a lot of gear that goes into those races and then got to the start line. They're like, yeah, it's some government official just came along and said, it's not, it's not going ahead. Um, I did, did you know about that instance at the time? And, uh, and have you ever had any similar scenarios in any of your races that you've done in China? Um, I don't know about this particular event in the Altai Mountains, but I know it has happened before, for sure. Um, you're never 100% guaranteed of anything in China as, an, as a practical organizer, as a technical organizer. So that's, that's an issue. Um, but of course, usually everything goes fine. But we ourselves, yes, we have had that situation too. Um, I think it was in 2017, yeah, the Genghis Khan Festival had to be canceled one week before the event. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the same year that also Powerman, the duathlon brand, was supposed to do an event in Beijing. And then also about a month before the event, it had to be rescheduled. Um, and that, of course, has all the issues with people who had bought plane tickets, who had booked hotel rooms and all that for a specific weekend. And yeah, they all have to cancel and they lose money, yeah, essentially. So that, that is very, very hard for, uh, for us as well when that happens. And for the Genghis Khan Festival in 2017, it was tough. Um, but we were very surprised also that um, uh, most of the people actually who had signed up, they were willing to also just um, move their registration forward to 2018. Um, ironically, 2018, we were not allowed to hold the event either for political reasons. Uh, so it became 2019. <laughs> so uh, we had the event last year in 2019 for the last time so far. Was that the so that was the first event you got involved with, and then did you start putting on new events, or did they already have the other events under their under their wing? 
Yeah, Nordic Ways had other events. Uh, I'm not involved with all of them. Um, like, you know, we have two offices. One of them is in Beijing, which is the one I'm linked to. And then there's another office in Changchun, which is in the northeast of China. There's a couple of events in Changchun um, where, like, there's a forest marathon. There's uh, cross-country skiing, which is a very big event as well for us. Um, there used to be an orienteering event. And uh, there's also a mountain bike event in Changchun. Now, usually I'm not involved in those events as much. I'm not a race director. I didn't design the courses neither. Um, when I'm available, um, I help out there, but that's about everything. Um, but there is an event, the Vetten Rundan uh, China event, that's in the northeast of the province, Jilin, that's in Yanchi, along the border with North Korea. Um, and that's an event that we have been putting on since 2012, yeah. And uh, the first edition was also completely my baby, so to speak. It was a two-day road cycling event, uh, Grand Fondo style. Um, yeah, I would start in Yenchi, we'd finish in Changbashan, and then the second day starting in Changbashan and go back to, what was it, uh, the place again, Longqing, I think, or Holong, Holong, sorry, uh, all the way along the North Korean border. And when I mean along the North Korean border, then it's basically alongside the river that separates China from North Korea, uh, which is quite exciting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to Yenji. It's not, yeah. it's not an obvious place to be put on an event. Like if we're talking about challenges, you've not made it easy for yourself. Like what's, what's the thinking there? You just thought this is just, this is way out there and I want to make it happen. Well, like I said before, so uh, the people in, in Yenbien, and particularly the tourism bureau, um, they wanted to uh, attract more tourists, both domestic and international, to the, to the area. Um, so they wanted to put up sporting events. They contact us, they bring in me and uh, my team, and then we assess what are the possibilities, what kind of sporting event you know, fits uh, Yenchi. Um, I had brought my race bike and I started cycling around and I discovered that actually it's quite nice for cycling there. Um, it's not as uh, mountainous as in Yunnan or something like that or Sichuan. But nevertheless, you can have you know, some challenging roads and especially nice cycling experience, nice roads, good roads to cycle. Then when we were told at the time, 2012, that we can also cycle along the border with North Korea, I mean, that, that was, of course, a very exciting prospect, and uh, we went for that solution. Um, at that time, it was still relatively easy to cycle down that road. It became more difficult also in, in later years, and uh, now I don't think I could go there myself to do that road. You know, uh, it's too, man too, too many controls. Um, but the race can still pass through once a year. Um, and it's now a 140-kilometer race for the long distance from Yenchi to uh, Tumen. Tumen is, a, is the last town or one of the last towns before the border with, uh, before you, you cross the border with North Korea. And um, it's, it's, I personally, I think it's a fantastic race. Starts out quite flat, uh, then it becomes more undulating in countryside roads uh, with forests on both sides. Um, and then you hit this, uh, this border road along the river. It's very nice. goes up and down. Then I introduced a four-kilometer steep climb uh, with 10K to go, um, which creates a bit of an extra challenge. Um, it's like, you know, for competitive cyclists, it's like a race for punchers, as we say. Yeah? So for the Greg Van Avermaet, uh, Julien Alaphilippe of this world nowadays in professional cycling. Yeah? So those type of riders, they can 
you know, speed up a, a steep hill, um, then go down and make it to the finish line. Yeah, stay ahead of the bunch. Uh, so it's that kind of race now. And there's not many races like that in China, actually. At least not and for, do you get many so what how, what potential of the uh, percentage of the races would be from overseas and do you manage to attract any uh, any professionals as well uh, the races uh, the ground fondos they are open for professionals but uh, they cannot uh, be ranked yeah so um, it's, it's a mass participation event and uh, if a professional com- because we have prize money yeah uh, in China there is prize money in, in every kind of sporting activity uh, trail running. Uh, road running, uh, cycling, anything. There's prize money. And there's a lot of prize riders. Yeah, uh, You know, we all know about prize fighters, but uh, there's in, in China, there's prize riders. There's even many talented youngsters in China or Mongolia, and they refuse to become a real professional rider in Europe because they argue that they can earn more money winning races in China than if they, get on, than if they go on a salary for some continental team in Europe. Yeah? So they stay in China, they stay and, and do all the races there. Now, if you would have a professional biker coming to take part in, a, in the Grand Fondo Yunnan or this veteran Runa China, then normally he would win because there's a difference in, in competitive level between an amateur, even a competitive amateur and a real professional. And then he takes away the prize money, and then you would have uh, a lot of complaints. Yeah, so we don't want that. Uh, but it's also a bit unfair, actually. In Italy, it's the same. Yeah, so in Italy, very often uh, you have Vincenzo Nibali or or other professional riders, uh, Ciccone, taking part in in these Gran Fondo events, but they're outside of the competition. Yeah? They're not ranked. Uh, they're also supposed to not mix with the front. Yeah, so they can follow, but they should not influence the outcome of the competition in Italy of Italian Grand Fondos. And we try to do the same in, in, in China. Well, I, at least I try to do the same because I think it's fair. Um, you know, professional yeah. cycling is different from Grand Fondo cycling. Yeah, and, and so for the Grand Fondos that you, that you started, Chris, that, were they some of the first Grand Fondos in China? And how many are running nowadays? How many, uh, how many big cycle sportives or Grand Fondos do they have? Uh, well, there's a couple. Uh, when we started, uh, actually Nordic Ways already had the Vettel Runa in China for the first time in 2009. This was before my time. Um, then it was actually in Yunnan as well. Uh, and before that, Nordic Ways also organized the Great Wall Bike Festival in the, in the Beijing mountains. So I think Nordic Ways was one of the pioneers actually in China for, for these mass participation cycling events. Now there's more, Old uh, Roots even tried to, well, actually they did set up an event last year in Sichuan. It was a washout. It was raining for most of the time. Um, and there's a couple of uh, yeah, domestic organizations as well now. Um, some of them are quite successful. Others are less successful. Um, I, I think I can say, and everybody knows that in China, you still sometimes have some issues with the you know, organizational level. From a technical point of view, it still happens. It's getting better. It's improving for sure. Um, there will be a five-day uh, Grand Fondo-style race, even though Grand Fondo is a big word because most of the stage will be less than 100 kilometers. Um, but there will be a five-day event in Gansu, which is in the northwest of China. Um, personally, a, a region that I really like as well, Gansu. Um, I did some triathlon and duathlon events there myself. Still. Uh, you know, it's the end of the Great Wall, yeah. It's, it's a very nice area. So that will be entirely Chinese. Um, there's also, or there used to be a circuit in China uh, that was sponsored by Skoda. 
And that was kind of a domestic cup. There were no foreigners allowed to compete in those races. So that was a bit controversial as well. Um, but yeah, there are some things, there are things happening in China. Both on there's a, there's a Hort route as well, isn't there? I seem to remember there was a, there's a Hort route yeah. in, it was it Queen, Queen Cheng, I think they, they um, I don't know how to, sorry, my pronunciation is terrible. Yeah, but. last year, yeah, they did, uh, uh, whenever it was, it was, yeah, it was just before the Grand Fondo Yunnan. Uh, that was a Hort yeah. route for three or four days. But as I just mentioned, it was, it was very bad weather there. It was raining. Yeah, most I heard of the that. Um, there were not that many participants neither. I mean, the thing is the price tag of the Autruti events is quite high. Eh? And that's, yeah. uh, for many Chinese riders, is also a problem. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think Autruti is a bit of a boutique event anyways. Um, they were planning to do it again, I think, this year in April. But yeah, because of the COVID-19 situation, it didn't happen. And I don't know what... Uh, what they what they're planning? Actually, they 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 contacted me about two months ago, you know, asking me when I was going to come to Hong Kong again to meet up, because their representative now is in Hong Kong, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, we have we are on talking basis with each other actually. So yeah, yeah. So you, you running, I mean, your background in cycling was the. Have you got any background in trail running? Because, or, or was the, um, or um, was the route you were doing in Mongolia was that the first exposure to organising trail races and mountain biking races? Um, yeah, the Grassland Marathon um, was was definitely, uh, with hindsight, was my first active experience with trail running. But at the time, we were not uh, talking about trail running. <laughs> you know, it was like cross cross country marathon. Uh, cross-country running because this was just before the boom of trail running this was 2011 2012 um, and uh, I did my first trail race myself in 2013 that was the uh, Lantau that was the Raid Light uh, Lantau which was the predecessor of Trans Lantau yeah and that was my, my first uh, experience as a trail runner myself I was invited by the uh, co-director at the time Pierre Arnaud Lemayon from Chiru Bikes um, because actually I had indeed started running uh, after my competitive cycling career. Um, I started to do some marathon running on the road. But then, yeah, people started to talk more and more about trail running, right? 2000, end of 2012, 2013. Um, also Dalian, the place where I went to university. There was this Dalian 100 all of a sudden. And that was organized by uh, a guy I used to know very well at the time because he was also in my same team there in Dalian. And uh, so suddenly people were talking about trail running, trail running, and I got interested. And then Pierre Arnaud, like I said, he was a friend. He was also sponsoring the Gengis Khan mountain bike for several years. He invited me to join the 50K in Hong Kong on Lantau. And I said, okay, why not? Let's see what this is all about. And I was not prepared or anything. I mean, I, okay, there was a mandatory gear list and I just bought all the items that I needed. But I really had no idea what, was, what I was getting into. So I was not in top shape anymore. It was 2013, um, but I was still okay. And, uh, but it was really tough for me. I have to say I was an eye opener. And um, yeah, the last 15K were, were brutal for me. Uh, I finished and actually had a pretty good result, but I was surprised. Yeah, a, but at the same time, route. I was hooked. Yeah, I was it's also a, hooked. Yeah. yeah, it's a great race actually, the Translantau. And um, they just they run a really tight ship there. And yeah, great race director and just really... Um, but yeah, but the the hundred k of that route is is brutal though. It is uh, like yeah, it's is really okay. tough. 
I cannot imagine. Uh, like I said, I did the 50K and it was my first trail. So maybe also I, I went in too fast in the beginning. I don't know. But uh, for me, the last 15K was, was absolutely brutal. But at the same time, it was, um, yeah, I was hooked. And uh, I wanted to do more of this. And I joined the North Face in Beijing. Um, also did the 50K there. Um, then I was back in Italy at some point, uh, and I did a trail race in Italy, 66 kilometers in Vicenza, Ultra Bericus. And that was even nicer, I have to say. Uh, it was a very beautiful landscape. Uh, there were a lot of participants there, and it was only one distance in Ultra Bericus, 66 kilometers, and there were, if I'm not mistaken, 1,000 runners. It was a great organization. I really loved it. And... Um, yeah, and then, then I was really, the ball was rolling. And then I started to think more and more about trail running. And uh, there was a time that I was also back in Europe in the, mid, in the, the, mid of the middle of the decade. Uh, and I was working a bit part-time for Nordic Ways then um, because I was only taking care of the Genji Scan mountain bike. This was before the Grand Fondo Yunnan. And then I started to think about uh, doing something outside of China as well in Asia. And that's how Asia Trailmaster started to brew in my head. Um, this was then based on my experiences as a cyclist in, in Germany mostly, where there was a competition called the German Cycling Cup. There was an annual series of 20 races. Well, not every year were not always 20, but most of the time there were. And then you needed to score points in, if I'm not mistaken, there were nine of the 20 races, you know, to get a good ranking at the end of the season. And I was competing in that. And I thought, okay, this is the kind of format that maybe we can also introduce in, in trail running in Asia. Yeah, and I, you know, I started to brainstorm a little bit, write things down, and, and uh, the whole thing started to come together in my head. Then put it on paper and started to approach some of the organizers in, in, in Asia. And there were a couple of organizers who thought, oh, this is a good idea. A bit of an alternative to UTMB, huh? where people were collecting the, the points to go to UTMB every year. So a real series in Asia um, can only be beneficial for the for the community in Asia. Yeah. So some. Who, who was the first? Which was the first race you got signed up? Yeah. Who were the inaugural ones that, that joined up? Yeah. Well, the first one who signed up was uh, actually a race in the Philippines. Uh, that was the the Clark Miami Falls Fifty. Um, that's a race that still exists, but uh, nowadays has reduced its scope a little bit, and it's actually also out of Asia Trail Master now. Uh, since about two years, but that was the the, the first event that really uh, signed, basically to to join the 2015 Asia Trail Master Series. And who were the rest of the races in that first year, the 2015? Yeah, then we had a race in Hong Kong that was the ill-fated uh, Ultra Trail Hong Kong. I don't know if you guys remember that it was held uh, twice. It was organized by the uh, the co-race director of uh, TNF 100 in Beijing, uh, Augustine Wong. Um, but there were all kinds of issues behind the scenes taking place there. And yeah, the event was not a huge success. <laughs> then the other races were in the beginning were in Indonesia, the races uh, organized and set up by Hendra Vijaya. Yeah. So like Bromo Tengesemero, um, Mount Rinjani Ultra. Yeah. Uh, there was also Gede Pangrango. Um, and I think there was a fourth one as well at the time. Amis Astila. So that, that yeah, was they're all races, amazing yeah. races, actually. I've only I've done Rinjani, you've done Mesostella, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I've wanted to do Bromo for quite for quite a while. Like they're they're 
they're really well. He's he's an absolute legend, that guy, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's done all the the, the, what, the, the crazy stuff in the world. He has done it, yeah, so with success. Um, so, yeah, he's a remarkable figure. Um, his events have met some criticism as well, uh, at least uh, on the Asia Trade Master Tour, I have to say, because yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, none of them is still involved now with ATM. Are they not? Okay. No, already for some time. Um, yeah, I mean, no hard feelings. It just didn't work yeah. out. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the beginning, they were very important events. Yeah. And um, what, what are you looking for in the events? Because it's, it's always struck me, I think, I think the first one I did on ATM was, it might have been JP's race up in the Cordillera, actually. But they've all, I mean, all, all the ones I'm aware of, at least, they've got a real character to them, haven't they? They feel like they're part of this series, but they've got a real local flavor. And you, you, could, you, could, you could absolutely participate in only that race, have a fantastic time, but then you've got this umbrella organization. So are you, are you kind of vetting the races or, or, or could someone just say, hey, I'm putting on a race, I'd like to be part of the, the series now? Um, in the beginning, we were definitely more flexible because obviously we needed events uh, to make, you know, to make Asia Train Master work and to have some kind of competition and to build the brand. Uh, nowadays, it's it's uh, more more difficult, of course, uh, because we have plenty of applications, and I do not want to have more than thirty races. Actually, I prefer to have less in future. Um, there's also a quota of races per country, so which is four. Um, the exception is uh, when a country or when a race, uh, or let's say the country of the race where the final is, they can have five. So the final, uh, like last year, TNF, uh, MMTF in Malaysia, in Taiping, that was uh, the fifth race in Malaysia because it was the final. This year would have been TMBT. Um, so there would also have been five races in Malaysia again. Uh, so that's a bit of the exception. But races, they have to apply. And then we assess um, where is it? Uh, what is the history of the race? Um, what are the expectations of the organizer? Where does it take place? What's the accessibility, which is also becoming more important because if you organize a race in a remote location, then it really has to be special. You mentioned Cordillera Mountain Ultra. That's a remote race. It takes a long time to get there. Um, but people are willing to do it because, yeah, you've been there. It's a fantastic and beautiful area. Uh, even if it's a 50K race, you will never forget the experience uh, of having run in the Cordillera, plus the whole event experience with all the guest houses, the, the local communities, the local food. Uh, it's an unforgettable weekend for, for everybody. But if you put did, up did, a race in, in, let's say, in a less striking area that is five, six, seven hours away from the nearest airport, then I wonder how we can promote this and, um, and, and make sure that there is a, a lot of international runners going to go there. Because, of course, when an organizer once joins Asia Train Master, the expectation is that there will be more international competitors here, yeah? uh, whether it's elite or you know, individual, or let's say people who are uh, trying to collect points for their Grandmaster Quest Challenge, yeah? which is the individual challenge that we have inside of the, the championship series. Mm-hmm. But the, there are races sometimes. We had the uh, experience, for example, with uh, a race in the Philippines, in the southern Philippines, in Cagayan de Oro, uh, Mapawa. A very nice race, very well organized. Um, the organizer is a dentist, a very smart, intelligent guy, also safety standards, really impeccable, very good. Uh, all the runners who've been there, they're very enthusiastic. But Almost nobody wanted to fly there from outside of the Philippines. 
we just also were very honest with just, the organizers. Because it was, because it's in Mindanao or, or the, the, yeah. the safety issues? Okay. Yeah, it was Mindanao, um, but it was not Davao neither. It was Cagayan, which is the other side of Mindanao. And I think even three years ago, there was not in Cagayan de Oro, but north of Cagayan de Oro, there were some issues, political issues, let's say. And yeah, it scared people off, you know. And um, then I was also just honest with the organizers. said, look, maybe we should take a break um, because you're paying me, but, you know, nobody, nobody, almost nobody wants to come. Uh, I, I know that Tomohiro Mitsukoshi, he was one of the very few of the uh, let's say ATM elites who actually traveled there. Tomohiro is not afraid of anything. He goes everywhere. Fantastic uh, guy. Um, and he also said it was a fantastic race. He does not understand why, you know, not more people want to fly there. Is it, yeah, isn't it like the, Fili- the, it's like the Philippines' highest mountain or something, right? Uh, no, that's uh, no? that's, that's okay. the Mount Apple Sky Race. Ah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, okay. okay. The Mount Apple Sky Race, for example, I mean, that one has a lot of international runners. Like a 30 to 35% of the, of the field is international, f- flying in from outside of Philippines. So you see, it's not about Mindanao. It apparently really was about the area in Mindanao. And, uh, and also, yeah, you cannot fly there in, internationally. You need to fly first to Manila or to Davao to reach Cagayan de Oro. So it's complicated, yeah. Um, because also, trail running has evolved and um, there's plenty of events everywhere in Asia. So people can choose. So if you then, you know, you need to, you, you see that there is an event there, you can just fly to somewhere like, for example, Korea 50K, which is coming up now in end of September. You can fly to Seoul and that's it. You're there. Yeah. Very easy. You can bring the family. The family can go shopping in, in, in the city while you do the race, for example. Yeah. But if you need to fly to a place like Cagayan de Oro, yeah, you first need to fly to Manila. Then you need to wait in transit there. Fly another two hours to, to Cagayan de Oro, and then you still need to do a bus transfer. Sounds like sounds like you need to fit in a, a special extreme Asia Trail Master edition just with you know a handful of races for the for the real hardcore people. Uh, yeah. Are there any races that have been with you for the for the um, sort of since twenty fifteen to date? No, I don't think so. But there are races that have only missed one or two years. For example, Ultimate Saigo in China has been with us from the beginning, but they skipped two thousand eighteen. Yeah, two thousand. Uh, or 2017, I think it was 2018 they skipped because there was a new event director there and he wanted to change the scope of the event. But apparently he was removed after one year again and the old guy came back and he wanted to be part of ATM again. So that's so one. You... Also TMBT came back, of course, famously. Korea 50K has come back as well. And then there's races that have been uh, with us for, for, for a long time already. Yeah. Um, I just have to think which one it is. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say TMBT. So when you say famously, what um, what what happened there? Yeah, also change of ownership. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first year TMBT was part of ATM 2015. It was actually won by the late Joanna Crook, uh, who who passed away uh, surprisingly last week. That was 2015, and then it was still belonging to the old uh, or to the founder of TMBT, uh, which was a, a local. Uh, I don't know. If, I think he was local. Yeah, from uh, from Labuan at least. Uh, his name is Abman, if I'm not mistaken. Abman, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But then he I, sold the event. Yeah. Adventuration challenge when he was um, 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. The um, yeah, the Sava Adventure Challenge when he was he was still running. I think it was the last time he did it in 2017 or um, or 2016. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but yeah, yeah they so, handed over to the other team to continue yeah. running the most beautiful thing, right? Yeah. No, actually, what happened was, I mean, Armand. Yeah, now I remember again fully. He was. He uh, wasn't well for a while, was he? I seem to remember. Exactly. So after that first year, TMBT, um, everything was set for 2016 as well. But then uh, we also accepted another Malaysian event in uh, ATM. And there was an issue between that organizer, that event, and Armand. And then Armand decided, no, then I pull uh, TMBT out. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was a bit of a weird discussion and I didn't want to spend time on it. And I said, okay, if that's, that's how it is, then, then, you know, then TMBT is out. But, you know, okay. But then, indeed, uh, it was sold to, uh, to, uh, to Klaus Pedersen and, uh, you know, the new team. And uh, one of the first things that Klaus did was contact me and ask, what is all this ATM about? Because so many runners are asking for Asia Trailmaster points and why TMBT is not part of ATM. So, and, and so that's how TMBT came back. <laughs> yeah, very good. So, you, you, so you've got your... You, you've got your standard races each year and obviously some of them, some of them come in and out and then you've got these, they're called challenger events, right? No, what are the candidate, candidate races? Candidate. Yeah, yeah. That, these are so the races are... nowadays. So basically unless an event already has a, a pedigree, like for example, Cameron Ultra applied, a spot became available for Malaysia and we accepted it because what's the point in having Cameron Ultra first as a candidate race? Everybody already knows it's a fantastic event. It was run successfully for four consecutive years. So there was no change of team. So, you know, that's fine. But otherwise, if it's a brand new race or if it's an organizer we don't know, then we first have um, the candidate race label, which allows us to assess the quality of the event. Yeah? Uh, and wh where do you get that feedback from? Do you have, is that, do you send someone along or is it just, just yeah. participants feeding in? Yeah, I mean, to any ATM event, uh, we always have a representative, right? Mostly it's me. I cannot be there always because I also have my other work uh, in China and so on. Um, but there is always going to be a, a reporter, yeah, a representative and a reporter, um, which is very important for ATM as well, that we report on the races. Um, and for the candidate races, I actually try to be there myself, yeah. Because there are the new events, new people, and I also know that most of the these organizers they would like to see me, you know, as kind of the head of ATM. They want to see me and also get to know me in person, if we hadn't met before already. And then it's then it's you know then we just assess how it goes the event, and then the next year we have to also see if there's a place available, eh? because countries like Malaysia have 13 applications, Philippines uh, also about 10. Uh, Thailand, quite a lot now, Vietnam, um, Indonesia also now, again, a lot of applications. India, India will have quite a few races in the future, um, yeah, after the crisis, I suppose. And with all those races, you mentioned that you try and keep it as sort of a 30 cap, maximum four per country with uh, obviously if they have the last race of the season. What is the, um, if you could just explain the format for the, the ranking systems then. So you have both sort of male and female categories and yeah. it's a point based on how they perform, how they rank in specific races, right? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically we have two different um, uh, parts of Asia Trail Master, right? So on the one hand, we have the, the championship. And then on the other hand, we have the Grand Master Quest. The Grand Master Quest is an individual challenge whereby each runner needs to collect uh, six 
points. And he does that by finishing six races of six, 70 kilometers or more within two years. So then you become a grandmaster with one star. If you then do 10 races, then you get two stars. You completed 15 races, three stars, and then 20 races is four stars. So far, nobody has reached four stars, but actually there were a couple of runners uh, who could have achieved that this year, and maybe they will still do. That's uh, Ruf Teresia, Masafumi Yamamoto, and Hisashi Kitamura. Um, and then we have the championship, and that is, yeah, that's a competition. So then ranking in a race is important. So for each event, we usually have the longest distance that qualifies as a championship points race. It's Great. not always the longest race. And sometimes we also have two different race categories that qualify for the points. So the runners need to check a little bit on the website uh, or on our Facebook page what exactly is the, the championship points race. But usually it's the longest distance, of course. And then yeah, the winner scores um, 400 points plus 100 finisher points. So every finisher gets 100 points, no matter what your ranking is. And then it depends on your position. So 400 points for the winner, 350 for seven, second place, 325 for third place, 300, 275, 250, 240, 230, and so on. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then at the end of the season, it's basically your five best results that count. So you can do 15 races like Kitamura or Yamamoto, or you only do six like Veronika Vodovicova last year. It actually doesn't matter. Only your five best results count. So there's a bit of tactics at play as well. But still, if you, five... if you pick the Philippines race where no one actually goes to, um, then, uh, then yeah, that's, a, that's um, 500 points in the bag. Yeah, but there's not many races. Actually, there's very few races like that. And most of the races now are competitive. Um, yeah. So that, that's something that changed over the years as well. Um, but also, like John Ellis was saying, you know, he was surprised how tough it is to stay in shape for so long because you need to, you need to perform in, in five races very well. And then there's another element, of course, and that's the super trail bonus. So each country has one super trail, like Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Japan, where you still score extra 50 bonus points. Yeah. So, and these are the most competitive races. So, yeah, we, we, we got Alan, Alessandro Sherpa on last year and, um, and yeah, he, the year he won, he, he struggled because he raced so hard almost every weekend and to the point that sort of got injured and pretty much had to have last year off, right? Um, and yeah, I remember John saying that it, there's no one that's actually um, had done two years running. They've not come back and won the, won the next year as yet. It's true. I mean, uh, yeah, nobody has won the uh, championship twice so far. Yeah, uh, it was. Actually I guess. I guess. John. Yes. John gets a second year by default, right? He's still the champion this year because yes. he's. Got... So, yeah. <laughs> That's one yeah, way of doing yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John and Veronica, they will keep their titles. Yeah, uh, for because as yeah, we haven't talked about this yet, but uh, we announced uh, two weeks ago that we are merging the 2020 and 2021 championship uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis, obviously. The reason why we're not cancelling is because at the beginning of the season, we already had three points races. And the thing is, you know, trail running is an amateur sport, right? So there were a couple of people who actually made a real effort to travel to, in particular, Indonesia or Thailand and some even Saudi Arabia, because we had a race there in Saudi Arabia, to get the points. And if we now would say, oh, we just cancel and forget about those, I think it would have been a bit unfair. Uh, because these people did a great effort. Fredin Alberto, for example, had a fantastic victory in UTKC in Thailand in February. Um, so I, I just thought, okay, why don't we just bring these results over to 2021? It doesn't really hurt anybody. 
the only person who could have had a problem was Hisashi Kitamura because he actually did two of those three races and he was alone in the lead in the male category for this year. So he could argue, yeah, but if you cancel, then I'm the champion or something like that. By, uh, which would have been a bit ridiculous, yeah. But Kitamura immediately said when I asked him, I said, Hisashi, what do you think about, you know, if we merge the 20 and 21 championship? And he said, ah, no problem, that's a good idea. Just do it. I fully support that. So it was, you know, it's nobody complained. Yeah. Well, there's always somebody who complains. There, I know that there was somebody a bit unhappy, but, uh, you know, on the whole, uh, also Fredlin Alberto said on our show two weeks ago, the tale of the trail, that uh, she thought it was a very good decision. Um, and others, others also. So I think it's quite unique in the world with that, actually, you know, merging two, two years. But I think it was possible. Well, I think it speaks also to the fact that you've got a supportive community behind you as well, right? People, people want to see it succeed and they're not, they're not going to bitch and moan about it too much. But just, just on, that, on that topic of, of staying injury-free and, and competitiveness, do you get any pushback against the idea that it's, it should be the longest races that are the qualifying races? I mean, is, is, is there a danger that... Because you, you hear that, you know, the, the temptation just to go longer and longer and longer and... Yeah, some of these um, events, I would imagine it'll be the sort of middle distance, the 50, 50 to 100 that are the most competitive. Yeah, well, I mean, in Asia Trail Master, and that's where we differ from Ultra Trail World Tour, for example, we don't focus exclusively on the long distance. And when I say that mostly in an event, it is the longest distance that counts. But if you look at the Asia Trail Master calendar, um, I think it's uh, not all the events are ultras. Eh? We have quite a lot of 50K races where the 50K is the main event, like mm -hmm. CMU. Or Tahura Trail is only 42k. Uh, we have quite a lot of 70k races. Vietnam Jungle Marathon, for example, 70k. Veronika Vadivichova last year became ATM champion, but her longest race was 84 kilometers. That was the last one in Taiping. Yeah. So you don't need to do 100k's or 100 milers like John Ellis uh, did um, to become champion. You just need to pick the races that suit you most, and then there will be a confrontation in the last race because the top runners there they're supposed to compete against each other that that's still a bit of a game and there's a bit of tactics involved that keeps it interesting as well for the media and hopefully it's not yet clear who will become champion then like in the case of the women last year but you don't have to you know you don't have to do the 100 miles like john ellis john ellis did the 100 miles because that's his best distance obviously john ellis yeah, yeah. he did cmu and he was only fifth place yeah and then, I mean, just in terms of raising the profile for ATM, and we obviously those of us who've joined the races have seen how great they are, and, and it's it's fantastic that you've got this structure around it. But in terms of kind of international or, or sort of yeah, long haul athletes coming in, is that starting to happen? I saw that you had Mike Wardian came over, and I think he won your Saudi Arabia event, right? How did how did that come about? Um, well, Michael Wardian, he was actually invited by uh, by the organization of EcoTrail. So the, the, the event in Alula in Saudi Arabia was under the banner EcoTrail. So, and they also were asked by these Saudi uh, people to invite um, some top runners, some international elites. Uh, and that's how Michael Warden came in there. We've also had other races in Asia where the organizer have the same philosophy. They say, you know, we want to bring in an international elite. Uh, Ryan Sanders has been in Korea, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Hayden Hawks was in, in China last year. Um, there was some talk of Paul Capel coming to Malaysia. Um, that's an organizer who, who, who decides that I don't interfere in that. Mm -hmm. The only thing, of course, I mentioned is be careful because if these people come, 
they will most likely win. I mean, if Hayden Hawks comes or, 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 or uh, Paul Capel or, or <laughs> God forbid, Killian Jonet or Francois Dan, they will most likely win the race, right? And that means they will take away the 500 Asia Trail Master points or the 550 years is Super Trail. And that means that all yeah, the Asians who compete for the championship, they might think like, mm, maybe it's not such a good idea to go to this race because we cannot compete against Paul Capel. You should maybe do what you do in the Grand Fondos and the professionals don't, uh, aren't able to rank... Yeah. yeah, I remember going to. Um, I remember climbing Kinabalu in in probably around 2012. So right around when you're talking about the just just before the boom in trail running, and at the foot of Kinabalu they have a they have the results or the winners of the. I, I don't think they run it anymore, but the Kinabalu Climathon that had been running for quite a lot of years. Yeah, I remember cool. seeing. I remember seeing sort of five years back to back. John A K. John A K. John A K. Um, and he was obviously coming out to Asia and winning a lot of those races back then. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. I mean, but the thing is, of course, if they come and they win, then of course they get the points, the Asia Trail Master points, because you never know. Maybe they argue, hey, this is an, an interesting championship and I want to see more of Asia. I'm going to do five races. Yeah, and then and I'm not going to stop them, you know. Then they, be, then they can become champion. Yeah? So it's open for everybody. Um, because at the moment, what is a professional trail runner? In cycling, it's pretty easy to determine, but in, in, in trail running how do you define a professional trail runner yeah it's a it's a fair point it's a fair point so you've combined the two seasons um what um it must be really challenging out there for for yourself but also for a lot of the a lot of the race directors as well um i can imagine that some of them are going to try and go ahead with events but just domestic even if people aren't going to travel sort of do you see that having any impact on the the Asia Trail Master, or if if people just do them, have, have them as domestic events. Um, yeah, how how do you see it playing out over the next uh, over the next two years? Well, you mentioned the next two years. I hope it will not stay like this uh, for too long. Um, but I do see it going into twenty twenty one. Uh, you know, um, yeah, most of the races that will take place are expected to be domestic, meaning that only residents of the country or the region or the island will be able to take part. We have announced already that uh, they will stay uh, championship points races. So people can score points for the championship and for the Grandmaster Quest. Um, but for the championship uh, runners who score points in those races can only carry over one result into 2021. Because obviously when a race becomes domestic, uh, it also means most likely it will be less competitive. So there will be fewer elites, and in that sense, it becomes easier for, let's say, Hisashi Kitamura now to score points because he may still be able to do three races in Malaysia this year yeah, that are on the ATM calendar. Whereas John Ellis in Hong Kong, maybe he cannot do anything at all. So we had to balance that out a little bit. And okay, we had to keep the show going as well. It's a train master show. We have the organizers we have to think of as well. It's not only about the runners, it's also about the events. Um, so we said, okay, people can score points, but if they do more than one race, only their best results will be carried over to 2021. So, and I think, again, I think that's fair. It that means that sense. every elite who goes for the championship, uh, for the 20, 20, uh, you know, for the 20 and 21 championship, the merge championship, they will still have to run at least three times next year. If they, they, they have it, they want to have a chance. Yeah. So yeah. That's, well, that's okay. What's been some of your favorite stories from the last 2015, I suppose, athlete stories that have, uh, that, 
you've really enjoyed that um yeah that, that have been your favorites oh there have been there's many uh many anecdotes many stories uh to think of to think of some um is in any way a bit of a disarm maybe to others but uh yeah i mean purely competitively speaking what i what was uh, thrilling was last year ultra trail changrai uh the fight between uh yeah john ellis and hisashi kitamura in that race they both run the 125k the classic uh, distance they were both taking it relatively easy in the beginning they let sukrit kayun run up front you know by more than half an hour Milton Amat was also there. He was also ahead of them at some point. And then about halfway, or before halfway, they both turned on the turbo engine and they started to run like madmen against each other. They passed Milton, they passed Sukrit, and then it was just a fight man to man. And it was in a way also a fight for the championship. Um, it, was not, it was not decided there yet, but had Kitamura won against Alice in that race, it might have gone the other way later in the year. And uh, John Ellis, he knew that. So and they run like madmen for 60 kilometers. Yeah. 60 kilometers of a 125K race. Yeah? And, and okay, Ultra Trail Changrai is not the toughest, but it is also not the easiest. You still have, I think, 5,000 elevation gain or something like that. Yeah? And um, at the finish, John Ellis, he, I mean, he won. He managed to drop Kitamura towards the very end of the race. But when I was there, I was standing there about 500 meters before the finish line to record and uh john ellis he he was crying from from the pain yeah and he and he kind of whispered to me you know like he didn't want to give up and the tears came down his cheeks you know he was completely destroyed and and you know nobody everybody knows john ellis john ellis doesn't cry right uh he, he also cried once after the nine dragons in hong kong but that was injury related this was from the effort he was completely destroyed by the, you know, the fight uh, with Kitamura. So having been a competitive athlete myself in the past, for me, that was, that was exciting. That was thrilling to see these guys having given it all in that race and um, also hugging each other at the finish line and all that. You know, it, was, it was a fantastic experience. I, I was actually gonna. You, I was gonna say that example. If you didn't, I mean, following that on uh, on Facebook, and uh, I seem to remember John saying at one point to Kitamura, uh, like Kitamura saying to John, actually, he's like, "You do realize, like, I'm a, I'm a two thirty marathon runner. Like, you're not <laughs> gonna win this on a flat course." And just absolutely battled it out, dueled it out to the end, and then. There's a there's an iconic photo of um of the boat both of them sort of like lying down at the end of the race just yeah. absolutely broken um yeah. but yeah what yeah. what a fantastic race yeah. that was exactly I mean that was the kind of event where everything also came nicely together for for us the Asia Trail Master team I was there together with Kirk Kenny the photographer he actually took that shot uh, that you mentioned and uh, he also turned it into a black and white version which made it even more dramatic. Um, you know, it was a fantastic event, and uh, it's still on the agenda this year, actually, Ultra Trail Changrai. But yeah, it will be domestic normally. Another story, maybe I can mention uh, because of the link with Changrai. I just remember also that um, Lily Suriani did that event two years ago, the 230 kilometer version, the ultimate 230. And Lily Suriani is uh, is a runner from Bali, Indonesia. She's uh, 50 plus. So she's not the youngest. She's also not the fastest. 
um, but she is incredibly tough. She has done all the toughest races you can imagine, including UTMB. She finished. Like I said, she's not tough. She's not fast, but she manages to finish. And she finishes because she mostly does power hiking. And whenever she reaches a, a water station, aid station, she basically she stops, fills her bottle, and continues immediately. So even these 100-mile races, these 200-kilometer races that she's been doing, um, she never actually rests. She never stops. She just fills her bottle and immediately proceeds. She just keeps on moving. And this has brought her on the podium of some of these very tough mountain races, like third place or something like that, but also as a finisher of the 230. And I don't know if you know Lily, um, a very nice woman. She also has her own uh, warum now, kind of... Um, you know, a small restaurant in, in, in Bali, in Sanur. Um, but I think it's a fantastic achievement um, for, for that person. And I find that kind of uh, story also very motivating um, and stimulating for myself. Lily has also told me that she's very happy with, with me bringing Asia Trainmaster to, you know, to, 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 to runners like them. Uh, let's say not the elites, but the normal runners who also try to get a challenge and something to run for a goal that they can set for themselves. Um, so yeah, that Lily is definitely um, one of the nicest stories uh, of the last yeah. five years. Um, I think that's one of the great things about the Asia Trail Master is that it doesn't just have the championship for the elites, but you also have your grand quest, which is accessible to everyone. You just need to finish the, the over 70K races. And so it's yeah. accessible. It makes it accessible to everyone. Exactly. Yeah. There's also runners from, from Brunei, uh, Ali Achis Razil. He's also one of those stories. I mean, I remember the first year he did trail running, he was a DNF, you know, did not finish most of the time. But actually, as he gained experience and probably also, yeah, you know, um, maybe got better prepared, uh, better trained, he started to finish races. And in the meantime, he's also a two-star grandmaster. Yeah? Uh, he's also, he's close to 60, I believe, uh, you know, it's, uh, these are great stories and I'm happy that I can provide uh, such people also with, with incentives yeah, to, to, to train, to stay healthy, to enjoy the nature and uh, enjoy themselves. Because I think trail running is also a social, like, a social gathering, right? It's not only a competition, uh, maybe even more so than other sports, uh, more so than Gran Fondo, for example. And I think that is a problem that we're going to face now in the coming months still and maybe coming years in trail running, yeah, that the social aspect will certainly be reduced. Yeah. Um, people here in Europe, I think in Asia the same, we're talking about uh, setting up events whereby the, there's no volunteers anymore at aid stations, become self-service, whereby you're supposed to go to the start area in small groups um, don't stay with other people and when you finish you need to leave the premises or the area immediately so the social aspect is risks to be you know vanished um, in the coming months and I think that's a bit of a scary scary thing for the development of the sport yeah no that is um, the whole community aspect and the finish line aspect of these races is is what what makes it such a such a great sport so yeah we hope hopefully um those uh I, we can imagine when the races first start getting back there's going to have to be sort of going off in waves etc and um but uh but yeah we look forward to a time when we can just all drink a beer at a finish line and uh 
and yeah. watch uh, watch everyone come over. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly hope it normalises sooner rather than later. I know we plan to to get out and and join quite a few of the events this year, and that's obviously not happening. But um, I think what you've been doing in, in in terms of keeping it moving and combining the seasons and and even with the virtual events is yeah. is, is a great way of uh, keeping people's yeah. spirits up. Yeah, we, we've, we've been forced to, to think a little bit out of the box as well. Um, like I said, we started with this Tale of the Trail show as well um, to keep people in the news, to keep the events in the news, to, to get some background on, on background stories on everything. Um, because, and then we had the virtual event that you mentioned, the ATM 500, together with uh, Sportlicious Malaysia. It was a very su- successful. And a bit of an eye-opener for me, actually, as well. Um, because we had like uh, almost 1,000 runners signing up in a handful of days. And I had never expected that, to be honest. But it showed me again that maybe sometimes I'm underestimating my own brand. Uh, yeah, it's, it seems to be very popular and uh, I'm very happy about that and very grateful as well to, to all the runners uh, in all those countries. And the feedback uh, is, is very positive from the organizers as well. Um, and everybody's hoping for next year to be a return to normal, whenever that will be. Um, you might have noticed as well that the first races for 2021 are still not confirmed um, because nobody knows. Yeah, uh, even the Nine Dragons in Hong Kong, uh, Steve Carr, he he told me a few weeks ago. Yeah, still wait and see. Cannot do anything. Yeah, they just look. announced that they're moving the Oxfam Trail Walker to January, but I think that's the end of Jan. But I think that's still pretty ambitious. Um, uh, but yeah, so the the virtual event that you're running, when's it going ahead? Uh, well, the ATM 500 was uh, was in June, right? So sure. It, took, it was took to place in June, um, but we have plans for a second uh, edition later in the year. This will depend a little bit on on what happens with the real races now. Yeah. So how yes. much, how many of those will actually take place? Because you know, we still have 12 active races on the calendar. If they all take place, we're still going to be quite busy, um, to the extent possible, because. Even me, I will not be allowed uh, into most of the countries. Um, the same will be for Kirk, for William, for Amy, uh, all our other contributors. So the reporting on the races uh, could be uh, very challenging. Um, Japan, for example, we still have two races, but I don't think anybody's going to be able to fly to Japan. Um, so, you have uh, to source some local reporters. Um, yeah, yeah we'll figure that out somewhere, one way or another. We always do, but... Um, yeah, you know, if you do, you guys are journalists yourself. Um, it helps to have experience, right? Uh, it, it's sometimes easier than it looks. Uh, sorry, it's more difficult than it looks. <laughs> yeah, although I suppose I suppose in these days everyone's getting used to adapting and, and making do with what they can. I mean, I think that the the, the success of that virtual event speaks a lot to just the commu- that, what you said earlier that the community that everyone's sort of missing out on, and and the fact that everyone's able to come together and. And joining something, I saw Veronica and the, the Asia Trail Girls did a, a what do they call it? like a vertical challenge, yeah. that did that did phenomenally well as well. And I think you know that's that's probably the best we can all hope for at the moment. So, yeah. so, exactly. so keep up, keep that up. Yeah. yeah, it's been really good to catch up. Finally, Chris, we've been planning to meet in person for a long while, but um, it's yeah. probably we we hope you manage to get back out to uh, to Asia soon enough. And um, and yeah, that the. That the season sort of gets up and uh, gets up and running, and like yeah, I've got high hopes for 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 the full two year block of um of being able to see it through, and yeah, 
Rick and I definitely will be uh, seeing you at one of the start lines when we get up and uh, up and running again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that this is my final month here in uh, Belgium. Um, I'm expected to go to both Saudi Arabia and to China. So because the Grand Fondo Union will also take place at the end of November. So even though reduced to one stage this year. And the Grand Fondo will be in, in Saudi Arabia? No, no, no. That's the, the Eco Trail. I'm actually the race director there and the course designer as well of the uh, Eco Trail Alula in Saudi Arabia. And uh, the expectation is that the event will continue in 2021 and 2022. And uh, this will be confirmed very soon. Um, and then, yeah, I need to go there <laughs> because we will need to make some changes to the course and then so on and so forth. So I will get an exemption letter apparently. Um, and it's the same for the Grand Fondo in Yunnan. Uh, I'm the race director. Um, we will have to work on the course because things have to be changed for this year. Even though China is already kind of a return to normal, yeah, but um, not everywhere. And like I said in the beginning, uh, we work very closely together with authorities. In the case of Grand Fondo Union, these authorities are quite high level. And that means uh, high responsibility for those people as well. So it's all adapting to the new normal. Um, but at least for me, it's good news that I can go back to Asia soon. Yeah, yeah I, I'm very interested in um, the Saudi Arabia one. looked uh, looked amazing, actually. It looked like a like, beautiful part of the world. So it's interesting Absolutely. there. They're obviously opening up for tourism. And, um, and yeah, it's interesting how, like, uh, trail racing, I just hope... Um, yeah, I'm sure that will keep on for many years to come. So, yeah, Chris, absolute pleasure, sir. Really good to, uh, really good to catch up. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. See you out here soon, Chris. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Chris, finally, we're able to do this in person. Exactly. Thank you very much, guys. Very glad to be here. Yeah, good to see you, Chris. Um, we recorded uh, uh, a few months ago now, but we knew that you were uh, planning to be in town. So it's, uh, it's good to follow up on that uh, initial interview to sort of, I mean, things have changed a lot in those last few months as well, haven't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the world is still topsy-turvy. Yeah, and you two have been sort of all over the world since we last spoke, right? And you've just come in from, from China, Chris. That's correct, yeah. So since we last spoke, I think it was in August, um, I was able to go back to China um, in October. So I was there for the past two and a half months in a couple of cities. We had two events that we were able to, to do, to implement. And uh, then I found out that uh, Singapore is keeping the door open now for uh, people who come from China. So I took that opportunity, of course. Uh, so I came in here two, two nights ago, um, arrived at midnight from Shanghai. And uh, yeah, we had to do a mandatory test, COVID-19 test, and then we had to self-isolate in a hotel room of our own choice. So that was all okay. And then I got lucky because I woke up on, uh, when was it, Tuesday morning, and uh, the result was already there, it was negative. So actually this self-isolation for me was, oh, <laughs> I didn't even realize jealous. I was isolated, I just slept. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was perfect. And um, yeah, yesterday I was quite tired, of course, because it was quite stressful on Monday with uh, the flying and all that, and all the procedures that you have to conduct, uh, both in Shanghai and here in Singapore. It took three hours here in Singapore before I left the airport. So it, it's a long time, but uh, all in all, we can't complain. I'm very happy to be in Singapore for the first time in, in more than a year. Yeah. Meet you guys, meet also many other people, meet William, meet Amy, other people who contribute to Asia Trainmaster all the time. So I'm looking forward to the next uh, two weeks when I'm going to be here. 
Yeah, very good. And and before we come on to, to Asia Trailmaster and, and plans for 2021, I mean, we're recording this first week of the year, and so um, there's, there's a lot to cover. But having just done those two events in China, I mean, there's, there's not many people who can say that they've been involved in sort of sporting events in the last few, few weeks and months. But how did they go? Well, technically speaking, they went, they went very well. So the Grand Fondo Yunnan uh, this year, well, last year, was um, reduced to one day. That was also government regulations still, so we could not do the full week in, the, in all the different cities. So it happened in Chengqiang, that's uh, a place uh, on the north side of Fuxian Lake, that's in UC, close to Kunming. Um, it was also uh, restricted to 300 participants um, over one distance, 108 kilometers. Um, we were a little bit worried before the race because uh, you know the weather forecast said it was going to rain, and then rain in China for cycling events, road cycling events, that's a problem because most of the roads are quite dirty, oily and all that. Yeah. And then if you go up the hills and down the hills, that could become quite dangerous. So the, the days before the Gran Fondo uh, were, were very hectic for me as a race director because I had to you know, install a plan B with a new track and all that. Uh, extra safety measures uh, with the local government people. Um, so it was very busy. But then on race day, it was uh, foggy in the morning. It was very cold, only four degrees at the start, which is cold for, for cycling. Um, but it went perfect. Uh, not a single crash happened, which is unusual also uh, in any road cycling event in the world. So we were very, very happy at the finish line. Had a great party afterwards as well, of course. And uh, the local government was delighted as well because uh, the year before, ASO did uh, the L'Etape du Tour, in, in that area and apparently that did not go so well <laughs> so Nordic Ways my company we came out very well in in the eyes of the local government so we got a new contract already for three years um, to do that that particular event for, uh, for for three more years yeah and also as the championship the Grand Fondo China championship um, so that's that's great news for us uh, at the end of this difficult uh, 2020 year uh, that we were able to do that and, and get that done for the next three years this new contract then um, I went back to Beijing for a couple of days, uh, prepare some things already for 2021. And then, of course, we had the skiing event in Changchun, in Tilin. We call it the deep freezer of China because temperature went down to minus 20 and even colder at night. During the day also, it was minus 15 or colder. Um, that skiing event is Vassalopet China. So Vassalopet is a brand from Sweden. Um, it's actually the biggest cross-country skiing race in, in, in Europe and I think in the world. It's classic style, 90 kilometers in Sweden. The Chinese version is 50 kilometers long. Um, obviously, that's long enough because it's very cold uh, every year uh, for this race. And um, yeah, it was also, of course, with, uh, with some restrictions and with some reduced numbers, um, but it also went fine. Um, the Chinese national team was there and for them it was of course also an opportunity to test themselves because there's not many races uh, also in China still at the moment um, and of course next year is the Winter Olympics yeah? so uh, the Chinese national team uh, really took the opportunity to have the best skiers there and they really competed at a very high level so that was all great to see um, that was last week basically and um, so yeah, I mean, these two and a half months in China for me were, were fantastic. Uh, after seven months in, in, in Belgium, <laughs> yeah. being locked down, being in my house, 
it wasn't all that bad in my house neither many people would argue but because i could move i could train and all that but when everything is closed and and you cannot meet anybody because that was the biggest problem for me in belgium so they work with bubbles in belgium so here in singapore understand you can have gatherings of now eight people until last week four people only but in belgium it was five people but it always had to be the same five people yeah yeah it's what they call the bubble yeah. so you have to quite carefully yeah and i was in nobody's bubble because i'm an expat i work <laughs> abroad most of the time so even my brother was basically the only person i saw yeah. yeah um so that was not nice yeah so after a couple of months that becomes really a bit strange and then these virtual meetings and and all that become a bit boring as well and so for me it was great to to be able to go to china again and and now to be here in singapore as well so i can actually meet people face to face again yeah well it's good to see you face to face and um and so yeah what's there's you mentioned the a couple of races in china there have been a few races gone on over the last few months i mean we had um the Vietnam Mountain Marathon, which um, which we we voted uh, race or challenge of the year and endurance age awards, but it's been quite a few races throughout Thailand, and um, very much they're all like focused on domestic market where you had the UTMB that uh, managed to come off. But how? Wh- give us an update of what's happening with Asia Trail Master this year. How you're um, how you're looking at the season and what the kind of update for the the new calendar is that's come out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the situation will not change uh, so much in the coming uh, months. So there have been indeed some domestic races, as we call them, in Vietnam and Thailand, mostly. Also in Japan, we had the Izu Trail Journey. So that was kind of the Japanese national championship even. So those five races, uh, they, are, they were part of Asia Trail Master 2020 and they took place. So we gave away the points for the, for the success, most successful runners in those races. Um, but now we are 2021 and it looks like uh, yeah, the borders will remain closed most likely until June, July, I would imagine. I think the Olympic Games will become very important in, yeah. in this context. Um, Tahura Trail in Bandung, Indonesia is taking place in a new format, but there will be an elite race mm-hmm. uh, with 150 runners maximum. Mm-hmm. Um, we have decided to, because they wanted to stay in Asia Trail Masters. They have always been the season opener, right, for the last five years. Mm-hmm. And they insisted, yeah, yeah, we want to be in Asia Trail Master also in 2021. You know, it's a difficult time. Of course, nobody can fly in, but we have good runners in Bandung and we want to give the Indonesian runners also a chance. Um, and we agree to that because we gave the Vietnamese and the Thai runners also a chance. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so there will be a Tahura Trail in Bandung as, as again, the season opener on the, now I need to be careful, I think it's the 23rd of January, mm-hmm. Saturday. And uh, Ruf Teresia will be running there, uh, Christine Motia, uh, and all Arif Bismoyono, Yusuf Aprian. So very strong runners from Indonesia, they will all be there in this elite race. Yeah. So that will be exciting to follow. Um, how are we going to cover that race? Yeah. We still need to see. I mean, I know some people, of course, in Jakarta and in, and in Indonesia who can help me out. Um, but at the moment, it's also very difficult to travel in yeah. the, within Java. So, yeah, things change every week. We will see about, we will see about that. But then after that, um, I mean, there will be dragons nothing. Nine Dragons was cancelled a very long time ago. Yeah. Also, the Eco Trail in Alula in Saudi Arabia, which was a new race last year. Yeah. Um, it's postponed already. Saudi yeah. Arabia right now is also totally closed again. Yeah. Um, it might take place beginning of December or late November, but that might not fit in with our calendar now. So mm-hmm. um, they were actually talking about the 28th of November, but that's Cordillera Mountain Ultra. 
yeah. popular race in Asia Train Masters, so they're hoping for that date now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the first semester, so there will be not much. So we have Tahura Trail, and then uh, I think there's actually nothing until April. Uh, there's a candidate race in Malaysia in Sarawak being yeah. scheduled. The Vietnam the Trail Marathon isn't part of um, isn't part nope. of it yet, though, is it? No, no, no. not yet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, David Lloyd has asked already repeatedly uh, if it can join ATM. But he always moves around with his event dates, yeah, and that yeah. makes it very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for 2022, actually, he already communicated the date to me, and it could work out. Yeah. So maybe next year VTM will be the season opener. Yeah. So one week before Tahura Trail. Yeah. So there will be something new, which is also nice, actually, to have a new season opener from time to time. Um, but speaking about these races, so VJM and VMM, they stay in ATM. Mm -hmm. And VMM actually has moved forward to the end of August now. Yeah. So they already opened registration. Um, that's good because Borneo TMBT has moved back by two weeks. Yeah. Um, so that's another big event. Um, but yeah, I think we're looking at June to have some more real races taking yeah. place. There's a race in the Philippines that might happen. They will confirm in April. Yeah. And then there's the Ichigo Country Trail in Japan in Niigata, and that's a big race. Um, we have a new race director, that's Yuta Matsuyama, who is very well familiar with Asia Trail Master as well. That's on the 20th of June. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that could be like the, the second start or the restart of the 2021 season than the real season. Um, so because if, if that race gets cancelled, yeah. then that would be bad news for the Olympic Games. Yeah. yeah because Olympic Games, they would start four weeks later. Yeah, I mean, so we, we, could, we could get into the Olympic Games, but I, I think that they, yeah, I just can't see it going ahead in July. I really, um, yeah. I beg to differ. I mean, uh, I, so? I've been very, okay, I'm by nature a bit of an optimistic person. Yeah. Um, but I'm quite confident that they will take place. But the question is how? Yeah, I mean, I just can't see international spectators all being able exactly. to... Exactly, that is, that is a question mark. Uh, that will depend on the vaccinations that are now being rolled out everywhere. Um, and also but they will take place somehow. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible they follow the, the NBA model, right, with the bubble or something yes. like that. And, or what they're thinking here in Singapore with the, the World Economic Forum where, you know, in theory you get people in, most of them might have been vaccinated or you make it a requirement that they have been you come in, you put them somewhere, maybe it's Sentosa here in Singapore, and you essentially, you monitor the people who are in and out. I, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, there might be a way to kind do of The latest news is that, that they will force all the athletes into quarantine for 14 days. And, and that this is, is a requirement. How are you going to be but able to get be a, at the peak of your, of your fitness and training and ready to compete at the, the highest level that you've ever yeah. done in your career after being quarantined in a hotel room for two weeks? That's correct. I can that as well. I did a quarantine in Beijing and I came out 20 uh, seconds slower <laughs> my running pace. So. Yeah. Um, but... Um, Actually, yesterday I read that it is already being challenged as well, this quarantine. Uh, I don't know who actually said it or who communicated this, but uh, it was in the news a few days ago around New Year's, and now it's being challenged uh, already, saying that the challenge is that it's too early to tell now. I mean, it's still like six months, uh, six, yeah, six months until the Olympic Games. Yeah. So now saying that everybody needs to go in quarantine for 14 days is too early to determine that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, back to the the season for the Asia Trail Master. Then, so you you joined up twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. So yeah. when when will the season run until it will be until like the uh, it still be the season closer in Malaysia would be the plan in in yeah. December. Yes. Oh um, no, end of November. 
No, 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 December. December so that's sorry. the Malaysia Mountain Trail Festival in Taiping. Yeah. Um, I think it's the 18th of December, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. So that's the season closer. That's the ATM final. Yeah. And hopefully that will be a huge party. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the plan, what we're hoping for. So uh, that could become really big and really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so who have we... Um, obviously, it's been very difficult for a lot of people to compete so far in this season. But so who have we got in the uh, in this male and female rankings at the moment? Who's, uh, uh, yeah, who's sort of like at the... Well, the, the uh, Vietnamese runners, they have taken the opportunity. So they were able to score points in, yeah. in at least one of the domestic races, VGM or VMM. Yeah. Um, and in the women's, it's uh, Julia uh, Duong. Uh, yeah, the Vietnamese names are very hard to pronounce, yeah. so I won't say more Julia Duong. Um, Little Sugar is a nickname, so everybody knows her as uh, Little Sugar. Very nice person, very nice runner, somebody who really developed as a trail runner over the last three, four years. Yeah. She was a podium runner and became a race winner, actually, last year. Um, due to her hard work and training, her dedication and her experience as well. We did an interview with her a couple of months ago, actually. It was fascinating to read. Yeah. Um, so she's in the lead. Um, and then Trun. Ruth Theresia could actually move up to second place. Um, Ruth Theresia, yeah. the champion in 2018, because she still has the uh, second place from the Eco Trail in Alula mm -hmm. that took place in February. So, and if she now indeed has a good result in Tahura Trail coming up, she could uh, claim second place already. So, Ruth Teresa is also motivated for the, for the championship again. She wants to regain the title. Mm -hmm. So, that will be interesting to follow. And then in the men's uh, at the moment, we have Trung Nguyen, who used to live in Singapore, but who moved to Hanoi. <laughs> yeah. um, and he actually, he did three races last year because he was also in Alula. Yeah, he did Dalat Ultra Trail and then he did VGM and VMM. So actually he did four races, but of course one of the races didn't count. Only his best result. So he managed to get on top of the men's rankings. So. He's, a, he's a great yeah. I mean, I've actually yeah. I've raced with him here in Singapore. We won, uh, like, there's an, an adventure race here in Singapore. We raced together. But yeah, he's, uh, he's very well known, not just in Vietnam, here in Singapore. So yeah, shout to shout Strong. To Hopefully, is, is he moved permanently to Vietnam? He's like, I'm just gonna, he's gonna be back at some I'm point. Not I'm not sure. sure. Um, he's still there. In any case, I chatted with him this morning. He got into cycling a lot. Uh, he told me he did, he did his first cycling race um, uh, last weekend in a, a criterium. He did very well. I, I saw the videos. So I've been so trying to hassle him to get into like uh, expedition adventure racing. And so, yeah, that's mm -hmm. good to hear that he's getting onto the bike and focusing on that. So I'll be able to rope him into one of the expedition adventure races yeah. once, uh, once yeah. it, uh, the world opens up again. But you were mentioning before that you think post-pandemic, there's going to be a lot of sort of change of faces in, in races, like a lot of people potentially changing sports. Some people yep. have sort of taken a step back because they haven't been able to train yeah. properly and exactly yeah so the last few months actually i realized um yeah because people communicate with me you know from all over the place that indeed several of the you know better known runners um you know may not reappear in 2021 because they went into cycling they went into some other sport they got pregnant or you know just lose i mean the thing is i think a lot of people are at the moment very insecure about what's going to happen next because last year in 2020, this whole lockdown thing started, you know, then the pandemic continued and rolled over into a second wave. And I think right now there's still no clarity in what will happen this year. Okay, we have the vaccinations, but there's still no events. The country borders are still closed and people are becoming really a bit stressed, I feel. More stressed than last year 
also because of course because of employment yeah? I mean, a lot of people are under severe pressure uh, employment wise too so yeah i'm, I'm quite convinced that uh, some people will go and, and many new faces will come in as well so uh, you know people who we have never heard of before they might suddenly have started trail running yeah yeah because there has also been an opportunity for many people to to train even myself i mean i lost 15 kilos in 2020 nice. <laughs> so i also took that opportunity to get back in shape and there's other people who did the same. Yeah. yeah. So it will be interesting to see uh, in the next races, the next international races, like what happens at yeah. the front. Yeah. 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 And you said you think specifically a lot of people have gotten into cycling across Asia. Yeah. I heard uh, cycling has become quite more popular, I feel. Uh, road cycling as well. Um, especially in, uh, in Vietnam also and in Thailand, also Malaysia. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have started uh, cycling. Uh, also known trail runners, uh, Razif Yaya, also an organizer. He's more on the bike now than, than on the trails. Um, and I've seen other people as well. So, of course, cycling is a great exercise for trail running as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it helps. But yeah, I mean, there's more and more cycling events too. Um, actually, many trail runners, they want to come to Grand Fondo Yunnan uh, <laughs> in China next year. So that will be great to see for me as well. I mean, who of those runners can actually do well on the bike, you know, so... And then aside from the, the, the race schedule, and obviously the, that's up in the air a bit and, and, and very much provisional at the moment, you've started a new, or you're about to start the latest ATM virtual challenge. Yeah, the seven missions that starts uh, next week. So on the 11th of January, it's one week. Um, collaboration again with the Sportlicious Malaysia in Penang. So just like the ATM 500 that we did in June, and that was an, an immense success with uh, 1,000 runners. You know, just in a, in a matter of a couple of days. Yeah, um, I do believe that this one uh, will not have those numbers um, because people are also again getting a little bit tired of virtual events. I noticed, you know, um, and I think it has to do with this anxiety that people feel now. Um, but we we have some very good teams already signed up. Yeah, um, I saw you. I saw the the, the 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 team with Alessandro and and Jeff, Jeff Campbell, Campbell, and that's yeah. a pretty yeah. pretty tough team to beat. I think. Exactly, yeah. Sherpa in Italy still, of course. Uh, he's actually one of the people who tried to move back to, to, to Indonesia the last few months, but so far hasn't worked out. Um, he's uh, still in Italy, and then, yeah, he will be running with Jeff Campbell and uh, Brian McFlynn, whom mm. we don't know so well in the trail scene yet, but uh, we've been told he's very fast. He's Hong Kong-based runner, yeah. right? Yeah, and for the seven missions, I mean, you can run on roads. So it's, so, it's sorry, so what's the concept there for seven missions? Well, it's essentially a team running challenge, teams of four people, and every day there is a, a specific distance that you need to run um, with at least three members of your team to get a team time. So the result will be based on time, uh, not on points or anything like that. So we have a 10 kilometer to start off with on Monday, then we have uh, just five kilometers on Tuesday, then we have one hour, on Wednesday, five kilometers on Thursday again, uh, 10 kilometers on Friday, and then the weekend. And then we have the half marathon and then the marathon, full marathon on Sunday. Um, yeah, and it's up to the teams to decide which of the seven missions they do. Obviously, the winner will be the team <laughs> that does all seven uh, with at least three of its members. Yeah, that's the important thing. And we see how it goes. I mean, it's a new concept. Um, there's also a Cheetah Cup as part of this uh, event. And that's for individual performances. 
So if Hisashi Kitamura, Jeff Campbell, uh, Alessandro, they want to really gun for a fast time on the 10K, they can do that as well. There will be a ranking mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for those fast runners as well. And it's, it's cumulative time. So if, if the three of you run, yep. we, we add up the time and, and that's what you get. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And if all the four people in the team do one mission, they also get bonus time. So that's also to motivate uh, people to, to, to run basically every day if possible. Yeah. That's also why we kept, especially for the first five days, the requirement is quite low. Five kilometers uh, is not really long, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah, 10 kilometers is not even either. So. Do you think you'll be bringing back the VTM 500 again in 2021? ATM 500? Sorry, the ATM yeah. 500. Um, yeah, we have been talking about that, um, yeah. to do that again in June. And actually I have plans for that also to expand on this whole thing yeah. um, hopefully we can do it um, it will also depend on the situation in June or before June yeah. um, but that's the plan yeah. we it, want are to there make any it of a, a the races event. as part of ATM that are looking to go virtual and will you recognize timings of if any of them look to do them virtual I'm just thinking yeah. like for example I mean it's no it's not part of a, um, a, um, ATM but the Hong Kong 100 is going to be going mm -hmm. virtual and it's um, they've got a month to be able to go and run the route and to be able to log it if any decide to do a similar format would you a Lantau yeah. 70 did that yeah in October um, but also Tahura Trail coming up, they have a two-week window basically for people because everybody needs to register in advance also if you want to run that course. Yeah. Um, but, but the agreement is that all the elite runners, you know, the fast runners, they run on one day and that's Saturday the 23rd. That's okay. why we accepted it as an Asia Trail Master Points race. Yeah. Is it the same start mm. time or they at any point in the day? Um, I think they have a window of one hour to start, yeah. Because they really also don't want people to gather together, so yeah, that's that's not ideal, uh, admittedly. But it's in a way, it's also better to have a race than no race, and I think it's acceptable this uh, one-hour window. Are there so just to go back to like the I suppose the format of the um, Asia Trail Master races and what potential races could join in end of uh, into 2022. Looking looking forward, um, there's always the the shorter distance and the long the the two different distances like what what for the longer distance one what are the um yeah what are the sort of distance it has to be over a certain amount is it over six seventy k for the longer distance one no 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 we don't have that kind of requirement i mean technically speaking we we hope that the longest distance of an event is at least marathon distance so yeah 42k so tahura trail for example is 42k yeah but then we have several 50k races right like yeah. cmu cordillera yeah um, and a couple of others, uh, also in Vietnam, we have 50k race, the Muchang, the Muchang Chai Trail, which is new actually this year. Yeah. Um, so we don't have that kind of requirement. And actually, um, as David Lloyd also know, we have had some discussions in December because he's adding ever more categories into his events. Yeah. <laughs> and that's complicated. Yeah, you know? which ones and, do you accept? And I also, I do not fully understand that because I have this traditional sports background competition sports <laughs> so if you create more categories you dilute the field yeah the competitive yeah. field because yeah. then you have elite runners spread out over two three four different race categories yeah and that's not very interesting yeah uh, if you're a sports fan to follow sure. because you know who's going to win in advance put all those four elites in the same race and then you have completely different uh, thing yeah so yeah um, yeah, we sp we spoke to David the other day because obviously, mm. as, as Scott mm. said, the, the mountain marathon was our race of the year, and he said they're adding a. I think they're doing their hundred miler for the first Correct. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I sort of I understand it from a participation point of view because 
particularly now where it's harder than ever to travel, I suppose if people are going to travel over, then they want to make it worth their time. And, you know, I don't think you'll get many people flying in to do to do the 10K, for example. Not for the 10K, but for, mm. uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, no, I, that's true. Um, but Vietnam Mountain Marathon, I think now has six or seven different race categories. Yeah. So you have the 100 miles, 100K, 70K, 42K, and so on and so forth. Now for the Asia Trail Master, it makes it complicated because actually I only want to have two, maximum two races that count for points. And then usually one of them is the A race and then the other one is the B race. So the B race, of course, has fewer points on offer for the winner. Mm -hmm. um, there are some exceptions to that because uh, you need to be a bit pragmatic and you need to see what the situation is. Um, but what I'm a little bit concerned about is these uh, ever longer distances. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 100 miles is a bit of a standard already, of course, in trail running. But now in Thailand, for example, you see 200k races, 250k, yeah. 200 miles, and so on and so forth. So, where does it end? So, trail running is a niche sport, and now they're making even a niche within a niche. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't really go well I think for a series uh, I think Spartan has the same I think Spartan uh, actually um, uh, they have an ultra uh, distance 50k which is a yeah which is a 50 exactly yeah. and I fully understand that you know because it's usually the 50k to 70k races that are the most exciting also yeah. to follow as a spectator and as a reporter as well it's much more exciting because you're still in good shape 100 miles races they take very long they go overnight also for reporters it's very hard um, people to follow, they must sleep. Everybody yeah. must sleep. So, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, a commercialization issue, I feel, sometimes uh, with trail running. Um, but yeah, that's maybe for another time to discuss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there any, there's yeah. a couple of races in Singapore. You've got the, um, the Force of Nature one in. Have you spoken to the race director of that about potentially We have not had the chance yet, but yeah. we have had some email contact already because I'm actually quite interested in that particular race that you have mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Amy, uh, Amy Kaur, who's, of course, working with us, um, she's quite familiar with that race, and we also had very good reviews of that race by Pablo Diar Gonzalez, for example. Um, but yeah, we definitely want to have a race in Singapore yeah. in ATM. I think it's, um, there's a big gap in the calendar, isn't there? Really? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, although so, I, I know we're not blessed with a huge amount mm -hmm. of um, of trails here in Singapore, yeah. but we're blessed with a huge amount of really talented runners That's here. It. So yeah. I think that it's yeah, important yeah, yeah. to get something in the yeah. calendar for yeah. Um, yeah for Singapore. Actually, we, I have received an application from an event in Singapore in the last week, um, and I will be meeting this week with the, with the person uh, to see whether it will be possible or not. Yeah. So it's a bit of a specific event. Um, but also the one that you mentioned, Force of Nature, uh, is, is, is yeah, being discussed, let's say. Yeah, yeah. it's good to hear. Yeah. But it will be for 2022 because 2021, the second semester is, is going to be races almost every week. I know. Dutch wood. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's going to be very difficult for those that do want to travel around to the races to Indeed. be able to sort Indeed. of get them all yeah. in the diary. There's going yeah. to be people that are going to be pushing themselves. I know that you're, the nature of Asia Trail Master does entice people to you know race every single weekend really yeah. if and they want to be able to win and it. that is also why i'm not a big fan of these 100 miles and 200k races because yeah. that doesn't work then yeah, yeah. you ruin yourself exactly yeah. i mean um yeah it's difficult to to come back from that although yeah we've seen um veronica like put in a few fkts at the moment i mean she was our yeah. um she was our athlete of the uh female athlete of the year and um yeah very you know obviously she won the algebra trail master in 2019 but mm. coming off the back of that she 
placed an amazing performance in HK100 and then yeah. uh, a couple of FKTs on Lantau 70 and Hong Kong Trail. So um, I reckon that you might see her around the, uh, yeah, around a few of the courses at the second half of the year. I'm sure, yeah. Um, actually, I have regular contact with Veronica also on Messenger. I beat one of her times in Shanghai on, on Strava. Did you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I sent her a screenshot of that. So That's <laughs> impressive. Was it like a one kilometer of like a 20 kilometer no, run no, that she no, did? It was or? actually three and a half kilometers. So it was okay. a bit longer than the southern bunt in uh, Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> did you specifically go down to take down that Strava? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, won't, I won't comment on that. Well, I think I, I saw that the Asia Trail girls are doing some of their challenges, right? I think one of them is actually the, you know, your fastest time along the Bund. I think uh, yeah. it's like a 1K segment or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of segments. Be, beat Chris's time, I think they're calling that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But uh, Veronica, I, I hope that she will return, and I'm sure that she will return for a few races. Um, what is also certain, of course, is if, that if she has the opportunity to travel, she will travel globally. Yeah. that was also her plan for, yeah. for 2020 yeah. and that makes total sense yeah. yeah so i'm not sure if she will try to regain or retain the the asia train master title um but we will see her around that's for sure yeah we've yeah. still not had someone do that in consecutive years yet have we True. so yeah. it'll be good to see like yeah. uh yeah unfortunately uh alessandro sherp is um not in town at the moment as well he's in italy is um but uh but yeah, it would be good. To, I, don't, I can't, can't see John Ellis coming back again this uh, this uh, season. He seems to be having yeah. a fallow year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he deserves it. <laughs> well, the thing with John, I haven't spoken with him now recently, but John, of course, was going to take a sabbatical in 2020. Yeah. Now we're 2021, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we might see him back. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. That's a joint season, we might see him back. Um, but yeah, thanks um, for, for making the time, Chris. It's uh, really good to, to see you in person and, uh, and hear what, uh, get an update on what's going on. And um, Yeah, keep us posted as, as races get confirmed or uh, you know, added to the calendar. Um, let's, yeah. let's share that with everyone. Well, the calendar is out, so um, there will be some changes, I'm sure. But hopefully it will be positive changes. And yeah, and by the time this is uh, is published, we'll uh, also be able to give some of the results of the uh, of the other virtual event you've got running next week. And um, yeah, to, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a, a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. A lot. Good stuff. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Cheers. Chris. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining, cause things ain't that bad.